So as we are going, not first, as we're going through the Bible, we're in 2 Samuel. I don't know why I said first. <laughs> I've done that before. but we're, Yeah, we're traveling through 2 Samuel. We're in chapter 18. We left off with David out in the desert being refreshed by someone who he had shown favor to prior. That, and that someone is now returning that favor. Well, David is literally running for his life from his son Absalom, who is ready to pursue his father and kill him. That's that's what's going on here. And so it's here in this chapter that David seeks to bring his makeshift army together. And he's going to organize them for a battle. Verse 1. And David numbered the people who were with him and set captains over thousands. No doubt his mighty men were over those. And captains over of hundreds over them. Now, think about where we've traveled. Had they listened to Ahithophel's words, David never would have had a chance to organize like this. He would have never been able to put everybody in order because they would have been on the run. But God answered David's prayer and his advice seemed, Ahithophel's advice seemed foolish to Absalom and his boys. So they've waited. But in their waiting, it's given David time to get refreshed, get ready. And now he's setting the troops in order. Then David set out one third of the people under the hand of Joab, one third under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zariah, that's Joab's brother, and one-third under the hand of Ittai the Gittite. And the king said to the people, I also will surely go out with you myself. Now, I can guarantee you that these three teams are going to probably fight from three different directions, seeking to divide the forces, because they're small, and, and, and Absalom's got all the, all the tribes together. So number-wise... They're extremely outgunned, and yet if they take these three massive SEAL teams and divide the forces of Israel, they'll be able to split them all up and conquer. I mean, these are military guys. Absalom, uh, first of all, I'm not, who's, anybody read ahead? I'm not really sure you want to follow a guy into battle that's riding a mule. <laughs> I don't know. Doesn't quite seem like my picture of a general. So David has brought order to his troops. And now maybe David is remembering what happened the last time he stayed out of the battle. So he declares, look, I am going out to battle with you. Remember how we've talked in past how God will only allow you to happen or allow happen to you what you're able to handle because he knows you. Well, God knows the beginning and the ending of each one of our days. And no one is messing with his plans, or his kids. Because David says, look, I'm ready to go. But remember last week as we went through chapter 17, it's David that everybody's after. Ab Absalom and everyone's after David. They want to kill him and claim the kingdom. That's no problem for God to hinder man's plans for one of his kids. And that's how we all should live our life. It doesn't matter what's going on. We look up and go, God's still in control. 
even when we might think he's not. But when we do that, we're just sinning. We got to look up and God's always in control. He never loses sight of us. And so David says, look, I'm going. But the people answered, you shall not go out. Now, they're not being disrespectful here. For if we flee away, if they overwhelm us, they're not going to care about us. They're not going to care if half of us die. They're not, they're not going to care about us. But you, our king, are worth 10,000. Wow. You, our king, are worth 10,000 of us now. Okay, so that's the observation. The application would be, so how much am I worth? <laughs> In the spiritual realm? I mean, that's... For you, you are now more help to us in this city, and they're right. Because they're not coming after his 37 mighty men. They're coming after one man and one man only. And so God can use anybody and anything. And here in David's life, God uses David's men to redirect his path. And notice, please notice, I want you to see this. This is very natural. It's nothing like sci-fi, spooky, hanging from the chandeliers, ghosts, whispers. I mean, it's, it's very natural, but I also believe it's very supernatural. Because David's going, he's the leader. Verse 4, then the king said to them, whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood beside the gate and all the people went out by hundreds and thousands. See, David is not only a good leader, but also one who listens to his men. And he redirects his decision to the wise counsel of them because he placed them around him. I like this. It's almost like David knew in his heart his men were right. And so God is now bringing him back. Now the king had commanded Joab... Abishai, his brother, and Ittai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man, Absalom. Little father thing going down there. And all the people heard, because that was David's intention, and all the people heard when the king gave, when the king gave all the captain's orders concerning Absalom. Okay, I think David did that on purpose. David wanted all of his men who were going out to fight to hear what he had to say about Absalom, so maybe that way everyone would keep each other in line. So there's no, no doubt about it. David wanted everyone to hear. And it, his words are, deal gently with Absalom for my, for my sake. Now, you be Joab for a minute. You be his brother Abishai. He's kind of stepping in this picture for one second. And David says, in the hearing of everyone going out, deal gently with my son Absalom. I think when they both heard that, inside they're like going, yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe gave him a little wink between the two of them, like, yeah, right. We're not, that ain't happening. So the people went out in the field of battle against Israel. And remember who the people of Israel are following. They're following their Hollywood rock star. The one who is headed, you know, that was cuter and, well, I don't know if cute's not for boys, I guess, but more handsome than everybody else. They weighed his hair every year, you know, and he was the GQ guy, Hollywood rock star. 
He's the one leading. And the battle was in the woods of Ephraim. So who's got the advantage here when it's in the woods? The, the small forces of the mighty armies. I mean, totally to David's man's advantage where his soldiers could battle small pockets at a time. Because remember, you've got these 37 mighty men that can kill hundreds at a time. You've got a Dino that can wipe out 800 all by himself. So you can't get 800 people in a forest that's got a lot of brush. I mean, that'd be like going out here where they haven't cleaned it out for a while and go try and go hunting in that stuff where, you know, you can't even see five feet in front of you. Yeah, go do some battle in there. I bet you Dino could sit there and chop himself a nice radius and anybody that steps in his circle don't get back up. Just my thought. So you got volume of men that Absalom has versus strike forces of David's. And so it's like the, the outcome's obvious. The people of Israel were overthrown there before the servants of David, and a great slaughter of 20,000 took place there that day. The Dino 800, another guy 800, we're already at 1,600. You know, if all 37 of the mighty men took out 500, uh, I don't know how much that is, but that's a lot. <laughs> so if God is for you, who can be against you, right? I mean, that's how, I hope that's how we view life. You know, in the places where I travel, I never think about it. If I'm going home there, I want to be going home doing the Lord's will. I'd rather do it on a Sunday morning just in the middle of a Bible study. Or maybe just finish it, you know. Amen. They're all, you're all closing your eyes and it's like, wow, we never get past that spot. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, God says, says the Lord. Isaiah 54, 17. I mean, that's our God. For the battle there was scattered over the face of the whole countryside, and the woods devoured, with God's help, no doubt. And the woods devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. The woods devoured to be those maybe entangled in the brush and they got stabbed. Or maybe the trees or maybe they fell off in the pits or they fell off the cliffs. It wasn't flat like Texas, you know. It's like, here, let's go fight in the woods and the woods are going to get us. No, it's very rocky. It's very hilly. But I want you to notice that God's in complete control. That the woods. Now, I don't think that's Jim and Bob Woods or Joe and Lucy Woods. No. This is the woods devoured more people than the sword. God is in full control, even in the midst of a hostile takeover against his man, David. Because if you're God's man or you're God's woman, nobody's getting after you. And I hope we can all see that. This becomes the picture of New Testament theology where Jesus says, I hold you in the palm of my hand. The very next verse says, and my father who is greater than I holds you in the palm of his hand. Nobody gets at, nobody gets at us. Now, I guess you could jump ship and wander. Yeah, God knows you're going to, but he can't protect you if you're going to go wander. I don't know. Maybe he can. But I hope we can believe God for this in our own life. I pray we can. Then Absalom 
met the servants of David, Absalom rode on a chariot. No. Absalom rode on a tank. No, it doesn't say that either. Absalom rode on a donkey. I mean, it says a mule. But isn't a mule a type of a donkey? Same vein. Festus had a mule and gun smoke. He is dependable for him. So Absalom rode on a mule. It's kind of like a horse. More a horse than a donkey. Now, do you really want to go into battle when your general's riding a mule? I mean, really? <laughs> okay. I don't. Maybe you do. The mule went under the thick boughs of a great terebinth tree and his head. You know that fancy hair that he weighed each year? It got caught in the terebinth tree, so he was left hanging between heaven and earth. So he kind of self-hung himself, but not around the neck, I believe. And the mule which was under him went on. Now a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, I just saw Absalom hanging in a terebinth tree. Now, there are some out there, commentators out there, that say his neck got caught. Okay? Well, if your neck got caught, then why don't you just pull yourself up, unfree yourself, and drop down? You're only three to four feet from the ground. Plus, Absalom, he's not overweight, out of shape, you know. So I don't believe that. You can believe that. I don't. There's no problem. We can disagree here. I'm just going to ignore that theory. So I believe he's hanging from that hair because the Bible told us that he had this killer hair. So my first question is, is didn't he own a sword? Here, can you practice with me? Or, 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 right? I mean, I mean, couldn't you just cut yourself free? I mean, I don't know. I, I would think you can. Or is this the first time he has a sword in his hands? Have you ever read of him having a sword in his hands? When he had Abner killed, no, Amnon killed, he didn't do it, his servants did. So is this the first time he has a sword in his hands? I don't know, maybe not. The Bible's silent about it. Please understand the reason this certain man did nothing here but go tell Joab was because of what David said as the people were going out to battle. And then it says right there, he, he saw him. He didn't do anything. I went Went and told Joab, hey, I saw him. He's hanging over there. I mean, I think that this man is looking to the leaders to give some direction. Or he knew if he did it, it would probably cost him his life. So Joab, who is more interested in justice and not mercy, said to the man who told him, you just saw him? And why did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have given you 10 shekels of silver and a belt. Yeah, and David would have killed you before you got it. But the man said to Joab, though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. And here's why. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai saying, beware lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise, if I would have killed him, I would have dealt falsely against my own life. 
for there is nothing hidden from the king, and you yourself would have set yourself against me. So he's a smart man. Obviously, stories of the past, bringing, you remember the people, you know, first when Saul's dead and the Amalekite comes, bringing the report, hey, I killed them, thinking he's going to get a reward. What happened to him? Yeah, chop, 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 suey. Okay, and then when Saul's sons were killed, they bring a report. They think they're going to get a good, get a payout. So obviously, that that those stories are kind of still running through the troops. So can you see the respect this man had for the authority of King David? Much like the respect that David had for King Saul, when it appears that God had delivered Saul into David's hands, what did David do? Refused to kill him. You see, for a man to be under authority or for a woman to be under authority, one must be under the authority of another first. For all of us, it's Christ. But then in the home, the man has to be. Because that's the way God set it up. Too bad the leaders didn't see it that way. We're all under the authority in one way or another. So please, don't despise it. Don't kick against it, but welcome it, man. We all are under the authority of Jesus Christ. Job couldn't welcome it, though. He obviously thought that his going and killing Absalom would be best for the nation and best for his commander. So he makes a field decision here. But in doing so, it was against the commander's way of not taking vengeance on anybody. Then Joab, verse 14, who's going to go rogue and act like a rebel, is going to go kill and take out another rebel, coincidental, I'm sure, said, I cannot linger with you anymore, man. And he took three spears in his hand and thrust them through Absalom's heart. So that's a triple heart attack right there. Thrust them through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree. Now, I hope we could all agree no one is surviving three spears through the heart. Okay, maybe we can agree. I, I believe this is what a leader in the church looks like that's under the authority of the pastor. Or this is what a home looks like that's not under the authority of God. Yeah, this, this is what a leader in the church looks like that's not under the authority of the pastor. That's what I meant to say. Or this is what a home looks like that's not under the authority of God. Or this is what a marriage looks like that's not under the authority of the head. This is a graphic picture of a man with an agenda under no authority. We need to guard against that, all of us. Authority is critical. It, 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 authority is critical. and It's an absolute in the world. It, it governs the universe. It brings order. And when authority is out of whack, everything's out of whack. Welcome to our country, you know, but the country's out of whack because the church is out of whack. I had this conversation today. We can't expect the world to get it together if the church doesn't get it together first, right? We're, not, we're never, the, gov the government's never going to get it right. The church has to. So this is a graphic picture of a man with an agenda under no authority, and we got to watch out for that. And it could be in little things. But you know what? The enemy's glad to get little things because what is he going to get later on? Bigger things. Joab didn't care about David's commands. He only cared about his own. So th three spears through the heart 
should do somebody in. What do you think? Verse 15. And ten men. Why ten? And ten men who bore Joab's armor. Man. I bet you nobody got close to him. Ten men with shields. And ten men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck and killed him. Really? One leader walking in the flesh, not being directed by God, always pulls others into the same snare or trap. I mean, look at verse 15. Joab has ten men hacking away at a man. He's already throwing through, through three spears here. I mean, it's a mess in more ways than one. But why ten? Lucky number? Just some random number? Or is it calculated? Like... Absalom slept with David's ten concubines who were left when David departed, remember? So Joab has ten of his foot soldiers make hamburger out of Absalom. So Joab blew the trumpet, and the people returned from pursuing Israel, for Joab held back the people. So we got a little bit of self-control from our leader here, I guess. No use killing more in this civil war that's taking place. And they took Absalom and cast him into a large pit in the woods, no doubt, because Joab doesn't want a monument or anything like that. It's kind of like the same thing they did with Osama bin Laden. They just dumped him out in the sea so nobody could make some shrine to him. And cast him into a pit in the woods and laid a very large heap of stones over him. Then all Israel, okay, and they are in full retreat fashion. Not David's men, all of Israel fled, everyone to his tent. I mean, wouldn't you have fled? David's mighty men are on the prowl in the forest. The man that last week slept with the king's concubines, testifying that he was in this hostile takeover till death mode, all of a sudden is dead, and all the people scatter and take off and hide. And here's what's sad. A very tragic ending to a man who had the right to the throne. He didn't wait. He wasn't under God's authority. He was under his own. And so, but it's, so it's, he had such potential. But see, such is the case when a man or a woman steps outside of the will of God in pursuit of fame, because he wanted that, position, oh, he wanted that, power, oh, he wanted that, authority, oh, yeah, he wanted that. And this is the outcome. Now, Absalom, verse 18, this is crazier. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself. Wow, does that sound familiar? Yeah, turn back, 1 Samuel chapter 15. I just want you to see it. It'll only take you a second to get there. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 12. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying Saul went to Carmel and indeed he set up a monument for himself and has gone on around, passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Wow. You got a monument set up in your backyard? Anybody want to confess that? <laughs> Now, Absalom, in his lifetime, had taken and set up a 
pillar for himself, which is in the King's Valley or the Kidron's Valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. So what are we supposed to do with that? This is why he's doing it. So we're going to be a Berean here, and i got to give you the answer. See, this isn't true. Remember Tamar? Remember Tamar? There was the one that was raped, and then Absalom has a daughter, and he names her Tamar. He named anybody else? 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 27, as we're going to be a Berean here. 2 Samuel 14, 27. Someone tell me how many sons he had. To Absalom were born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of beautiful appearance. So that's our observation. Okay, it's an observation. But what does this mean when we read Absalom speaking here? I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. What's the interpretation? There can only be one. What's the interpretation? Huh? All three are gone where? Like on a road trip? They're dead. Yeah. His three boys had to have died before he did. I'm sure that kind of helped him be bitter. But when he says, I have no one to, in the sun to keep my name, it's obvious that they've died. I don't think they moved away. Now, Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself, which is in, in the King's Valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name. And to this day, it's called Absalom's Monument. At least at the time of this writing. So the King's Valley is the same name for the Kidron Valley. This valley is down, and obviously it's down lower. So as you descend out of from Jerusalem, if you're coming out on that side, probably like the Eastern Gate, I think, if I remember right, as you walk down from Jerusalem, you're drifting down into the Kidron Valley when you get to the bottom. That's also where the Garden of Gethsemane is, at the bottom of the valley. And then as if you walk back up, because the valley's down, and that means there's high spots on each side. And as you walk back up, you come up to the top of the Mount of Olives, where then you can look back at the city, and you can see it. You've seen the picture of the dome of the pagan rock. You know, that's a shot from the uh, Mount of Olives. And so he placed his All About Me monument down in the valley. I think he'd put it up higher on a pedestal, but maybe he thought it had a better chance of remaining if it was down in the valley, kind of out of the way. I don't know why it's down there. Then Ahimaaz, the son of Zodak, said, let me run now and take the news to the king, because he's the fastest dude. Let me take news to the king, how the Lord has avenged him of his enemies. But Joab, seeking to spare him, said to him, you shall not take the news this day. For you shall take the news another day, but today you shall take no news because the king's son is dead. And no doubt Ahimaaz goes, oh yeah, at least for a second he does anyway. Now, 
Is this like an admission of guilt by Joab here, knowing that the king is not going to be pleased by the news? Then Joab said to the Cushite, You go and tell the king what you've seen. So the Cushite bowed himself to Joab in honor and ran. So he's, so he's got the head start, kind of like when John tells about him and Peter running to the tomb. John writes, well, Peter got the jump on me, took off first, <laughs> but I beat him. <laughs> and so then Joab said to the Cushite, go tell the king what you've seen. So the Cushite bowed himself, takes off. And Ahimehaz, the son of Zodak, who knew he was faster, but also smarter, said to Joab, please, whatever happens, please let me also run after the Cushite. So Joab said, why will you run, my son, since you have no news ready? Oh, but see, he's already created some news. Hey, you're not going to go tell him he died. Oh, okay. So he's been sitting there. He's watched the Cushite take off. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I got some news I could take. So Joab said, why will you run, my son, since you have no news? But whatever happens, Ahimaaz says, let me run. I've counted the cost. I got some news. I'm ready. So he said to him, run for us, run. Then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. Because the shortest distance between two points is what? No, it's the plane. The plane. That's what it says here. That's what it says here. Okay, he's not going around. He's dropping down, coming across, coming back up. Now, David was sitting between the two gates. No doubt waiting the news of his son. If he stopped right here, you'd be thinking, no, he's awaiting the news of his troops. Now David was sitting between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof over the gate to the wall, lifted his eyes and looked, and there was a man running alone. Then the watchman cried out and told the king, and the king said, if he's alone, there is news in his mouth. And he came rapidly and drew near. Then the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, there is another man running, another man running alone. And the king said, he also brings news. Okay, I mean, they didn't have like uh, uh, binoculars. I was trying to think of the, the killer branding, but they didn't have binoculars, so they're just looking out there. So the watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zodak, because if we all went out there and all had the same clothes on, you know, and you went running, everyone has a different running style. So you can tell, you know, you can pick people out when they're running. So, and so the king said, oh, he's a good man. So he must be coming with good news. At least that's what David is betting on. And Ahimaaz, who is very shrewd as a serpent and innocent as a dove, called out and said to the king, all is well. Then he bowed down with his face to the earth before the king and said, Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delivered up the men, plural, who raised their hand against my, I lost my spot, against my Lord the king. The king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? You mean the traitor? What about 
are my men safe? But it appears that David is kind of having a parenting moment here. And in one way, we should never give up on our kids. But he tried to kill you. He's already overthrowing you, slept with your concubines. And Ahimehaz answered, because he is a shrewd, smart man, said this. When Joab sent the king's servant, that he's talking about himself, and me, your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I don't really know what it was all about. Now, is he fibbing, withholding information a little bit? Yeah, he's fibbing. Crazy, is it not? That David's only concerned about his son? Is Absalom safe? Well, you know, I don't know. <laughs> so anxious to run, but he carries no message. Kind of like those today. So anxious to run, but they have no message. We've got to have a message. It's critical. We possess the good news that this world needs. That's what's going to change it around. So we have to sit at the feet of the master if we're going to proclaim the words of the master and have some good words to proclaim. And the king said, hey, turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. Just then the Cushite came. And the Cushite said, there is good news, my lord, the king. For the Lord has avenged you this day of all those who rose against you. So he's still pretty neutral. And the king said to the Cushite, because the Cushite doesn't know what Ahimaaz has said. So the king said to the Cushite, is the young man Absalom safe? So the Cushite answered, may the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise against you to do harm be like that young man. So in other words, the modern English version would read, He's a goner. He kicked the bucket. He's dead. Verse 33. The king was deeply moved. You go, okay, deeply moved. How are we going to define that? The Hebrew definition for deeply moved reads like this. Tremble. Quake. Rage. Quiver. Be agitated. So it was loud and he was shaking. Then the king was deeply moved verbally and physically and went up. Listen to this. To the chamber where? Over the gate. That's an observation. And wept. Now, if he's in the chamber over the gate, do a little interpretation here. How many of his men, when they come back from battle, from seeking to save his life and enter into the city where King David is, through this gate, are going to hear their king violently weeping. How many? All of them. And as he wept, he said thus, count them, O oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place. O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. How many you got? Five. And no doubt, that's not a one-time through. That's like a record, vinyl, that's stuck. And she's running over and over. Even though the son had tried to kill him and publicly shamed him, David was moved with compassion. And I would hope that some of that grief is from his own liberal parenting style. Okay, because it was very liberal. Remember his parenting style? He did not intervene. He let his kids who were still at home make their own decisions. I mean, that 
That's a liberal parenting style today in the world, and that style has totally crept into the church. When I was first a youth pastor with no kids, you, you don't know what you're talking about. Then I had little kids. Well, you just wait till they're older. You still don't know what you're talking about. Then they're older. Well, you just wait till they're in junior high. Well, they're in high school now. And all I did was look at how the Bible portrays the father with me. Because don't you think our parenting style should follow that of the father? Right? I mean, he's got the best parenting style on the planet. I read an article yesterday of a father being mocked because his daughter at school forgot something at home and asked if he could bring it. He was still at home. No problem. They mocked him. Hey, let her fail. It's good for her. It'll teach her lessons. But see, that's liberal parenting at its best, church. See, they don't know agape love. See, agape love would say, sure, baby, I'll bring it to you. A servant of all would say, yeah, no problem. But see, the world doesn't know agape love. They don't know servant of all. So they mock it. I've taken stuff to my kid. That doesn't make me a hovering parent or a helicopter parent or a, they called it a, oh yeah, a lawnmower parent or some ridiculous thing, whatever, it's dumb. Dumb, 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 dumb. But see, they're trying to make us all look dumb. And, the, and you know what? It works. Because this is, well, this is actually in our church. It's in every church. But do you want Almighty God to be this way in your life, where he just kind of pulls back and says, here, why don't you go for it? Just go for it. Let's see how you're going to do. Go ahead. Step up to bat. Take some swings. Why don't you go take a few shots? No, Gail Irwin says, man, if Jesus gives you the ball, give it back to him. And why don't you just think what's right in your own eyes? Now, there will come times for that. I mean, I wanted my kids to fail while living in our own house, so that way the disaster would be less, and they wouldn't like, you know, it would be crazy. But I want my God right there with me in my decisions I make. I've been told by liberal, unsaved parents that it's good for my 12-year-old daughter to make choices and fail as she ran away at 10.30 at night, and she went up a busy road, Hollister, that turns into State Street on a bicycle, 12 years old. There's power in that, they said. That's ridiculous. Our world is so crazy today. You would better be there as your kids or grandkids are making decisions and help them make godly decisions that please the Lord. Otherwise, they're going to make decisions that please who? Themselves. They are. If only I had died in your place, O Absalom, my son, my son. And again, maybe he's reflecting back upon his own life. He lived. Maybe he's reflecting back on his parenting style that he used. Both were flawed. And maybe David is dwelling on that as he weeps for his son, like he's taken some responsibility. If I would have been involved, if I would have done something when Tamar was raped, because that's where this whole thing started. But then again, it's also fulfilling prophecy that Nathan told them. Think of how many kids today have to make up their own decisions on life and how to live today. 
Think of how many. 50% at least. Staggering team. No one to mentor them. No one to guide them. No one to help them make good, godly decisions. So the next time you see unruly teams, hey, will you remember that maybe they don't even have a father in the house guiding them? Maybe their mom is busy working to provide for them, so maybe she's not even around much? Maybe it's, they're like Absalom. He was lacking. And maybe have a little compassion there. My charge to each one of us is be a part of the kids' lives at church. We that are older who are living the walk should be able to point them back to God's word and show them how God's word wants to be a part of every decision they make and not be afraid to say, well, hey, you know, I hear what you're saying, but look, have you considered what God's word says right here? Oh, what are they going to do? Not like you? Oh, that's, yeah, but God will like you. And you speak in truth. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You got to show them how God wants to help them make decisions. That's called discipleship. See, they're not going to learn that the first time you teach that, just like you and I didn't learn it the first time things were taught to us. So we're gracious. Give them some slack. But don't judge them, especially the unsaved and really ones out in the world. There's probably not people there investing into their lives. Father, we're thankful for the pictures that you put before us here. And Lord, help us to see, Lord, these things that you want us to see. 